Okay, well, welcome to uh, God's Word Baptist Church on this uh, Wednesday night midweek service. Uh, we're going to continue in our study in the book of James, in James chapter 2. Uh, we're looking at uh, the last part, verses uh, 14 through 26, and uh, again, some of the uh, the heavier doctrinal, um, uh, if you will, the heavier, heavier doctrinal subject of this um, there is, as I said before, a lot of practicality that we can apply, and we can definitely see it in our uh, in our lives and what God is asking of us. But uh, it is necessary to mention, you know, that period of time referred to as the Great Tribulation, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, Rachel's sorrow, as it is called in Scripture, and uh, what the expectation is for the nation of Israel, uh, specifically in regards to entrance into that kingdom. Uh, entering into that uh, uh, promise that God had for them. So we're going to talk a, a bit about that tonight, uh, kind of get into it. I don't want to get too far into the weeds of that because, uh, uh, you know, again, that's not the necessarily the subject of the, the book that we're looking at. Subject of what we're looking at is patience and faith and how those are to be used by us and how God's developing those in our lives. And uh, again, to take away that practical application and be able to use it uh, to please God and to honor him with what we say and do. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight and uh, we'll just get going. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to study your word, to be in it, and Lord, to understand uh, the meanings and uh, the subject matter that we have before us this evening. Pray, Lord, you just continue to use your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, to teach us, to give us that understanding, and that, uh, Lord, we would uh, use it in such a way that we would uh, glorify you and your name and your word, which you've preserved for us and which you've given to us. And Lord, again, I just thank you so much for the blessings that we have through you, above all that gift of salvation that uh, uh, provides that eternal life, the payment and the work that you did for that, uh, that Lord, uh, we simply trust in you for that salvation. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with my words tonight, that it would be all honoring and pleasing unto you. And all this we ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in James chapter 2, uh, right there, we're going to kind of back up just one verse to verse 13 because uh, we he, uh, James kind of broaches the subject. Now again, James is not as, if you will, uh, delicate as, say, John is in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And, you know, John does have some sharp uh, words at some points. But James just seems to kind of get right to the point and uh, makes it very clear that there are certain things that uh, God has as expectations for these 12 tribes scattered abroad. And again, let's keep that in mind keep that in mind and keep that context that this is that general epistle that is written to them. And it is written for a specific period of time. While it was written right around the time of, uh, you know, uh, after Christ's ascension, uh, right before Paul is uh, really getting into the uh, uh, his ministry, 
This was still a period of time where there were some opportunities that were being presented to to the nation of Israel that we see over there in the beginning part of Acts, Acts chapter 2, all the way through Acts chapter 7. Uh, till, till there's this, if you will, final rejection of God's offer, final rejection by the Jew of what God is going to give them. And God says, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. And then in comes Paul. And that's the way you have to look at the book of Acts is you have to, you can't necessarily try to divide it up by timeline and say, well, this is when the church started, and this is when the church started, and people go through those debates and so on and so forth. Um, and, and, and again, it kind of becomes futile because, you know, when God's talking about uh, issues with the church and specifically the body of Christ, uh, I think all of us here would agree that the apostles were included in that, um, that they weren't excluded in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but one thing that we do know is that with the book of Acts, it divides it between two individuals and their ministries. Peter's ministry to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And we, we find that as we move further through the book of Acts, we start seeing Peter's ministry fade away. It starts moving to the background and we see very little discussed about Peter at some point in time. And it's all about Paul and Paul and Paul and Paul and Paul and his ministries until the book concludes. So what we have here is we have this book that is written for around that time frame, the early part of Acts, and then is also, if you will, part of a future group of individuals that are going to be entering into that millennial reign. And those are that remnant of the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. God has some expectations of them. Not only is there, if you will, the the uh, understanding and the faith that is required about who Jesus Christ is, but there's also the expectation of in order to enter into that, kingdom, there has to be some demonstration of works. There has to be something that is being shown. And we're going to see some some verses about that. But in verse 13, he starts off with something that, you know, we would look at and go kind of, if you will, begin to raise the eyebrow, where he says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Now, each one of us, we have failed in some way, shape, or form if we're going to be honest with ourselves, to ever show mercy towards another person. that, that That's a big thing. And we, as we, we covered it, we saw over there in Zechariah 7 and Micah chapter 6, that that's kind of God's expectation, is that we would show mercy, that that's, if you will, a requirement. And what we find here is that he's saying that there's going to come a judgment upon these individuals that are not showing mercy when mercy is necessary. There's a lack of compassion that is existing. And, and this is, this is a very serious subject matter. And right after that, here James goes into a rather lengthy dissertation about faith and works. In verse 14, he says, what profit it, doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, our immediate response is, yes, based off of what we know with Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. 
Turn over to Second Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter three, just again to to kind of make sure we understand that context and and what I'm referring to. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. And verse 15, it says, And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I mean, again, right there, those two verses that we were referencing with the book of Ephesians, as well as what we see here to Timothy, and there's a whole host of other ish, uh, uh, verses that are regarding faith and salvation and for eternal life that make it clear that it is a faith action, if you will. It is believing God at his word and being obedient to the gospel. But God is requiring of these Jews to go further, to take another step. And and, and praise God, we're not in that period of time and, and, and struggling through that. Because again, as I, as I mentioned, during the tribulation period, and as God clearly outlines, there's gonna be some major persecution. Persecution like we have never seen here ever. You know, we think that the church is being persecuted today, and it is, but those that are involved in that ministry during that period of time, that remnant, there is some major expectations of them. Not only are they to, you know, kind of live through that persecution, but at the same time, they're expected to show compassion, to show mercy. A lot of the things that we see in the book of Matthew about how they're supposed to behave before entrance into that kingdom. And again, uh, Matthew talks about that kingdom of heaven being the physical, literal reign of Jesus Christ. So we see that there's there's something that's there that's a little bit different. Let's continue on here in chapter 2. It says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be war- be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for, to the body, what doth it profit? There's a problem. There's something there that is an unprofitable Work. Why? Because it's not complete. Just because somebody says something and, 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 if you will, fails to do it, you know, God could take that into a really big consideration when he's looking at these Israelites, when he's looking at these Jewish people. I mean, we've all said things that we would do for somebody, but then we fail to do them. Many times people will say, well, I'll pray for you, and they never do. Well, that's a big issue. And if you say to somebody during this period of time, hey, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to give you some things for physical need, because there's going to be a lot of physical needs. You think there's a lot of homeless people today? Just wait till the tribulation rolls around. It's going to be, it's going to be unimaginable. They, they're talking about a homeless, homelessness crisis right now in Portland and in Vancouver and San Francisco and other areas. Oh, they've got nothing on what it's going to be. When we have cities lying in waste and destroyed and there's rumors of wars and there's people uh, and violence all over the place, it's, it's going to be bad. 
And then you've got the Jews where, where when God says you see the abomination of desolation, meaning you see the Antichrist starting to set himself up as the ruler of the world, he says, run. Don't even go back into your house. Jump off the rooftop and run. If you're in the field, don't go back. Run. Don't, don't think there's anything necessary back there that you need. You run for your life. Now, if Jesus Christ says that, I think he's pretty serious. I think he's, he's very intent on warning his people for, for the sake of their lives. So we see that that area or that, that time frame, there's some things that are going to be going on that are very, very important. And during that period of time, if you're an individual that has the capacity to do something and to help somebody in such a nature, and then you turn around and say you're going to do it, and then you fail to do it, you fail to do those works, God is considering that person an unprofitable servant, an unprofitable believer. And there are consequences. As you go down here a little bit further, as he says, you know, with this lack of compassion, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, again, one of the key things that we have to understand is that with our salvation, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because it is by the faith of Christ we are saved. Meaning that he exercised that on the cross, doing what he was doing, being obedient to the death of the cross for our sins. He did all that work for us. And as I said before, regardless of what age or dispensation you're talking about, there are always major components to every single one of them. Grace, mercy, faith, works. Those things that are all necessary, but they are in given in different ways, again, to show that man is without excuse. As I mentioned last week, well, if God gave, only gave us one law, then we would be able to keep it and we'd be able to be saved. We couldn't do that in the garden. Well, if God just gave us a conscience and we were allowed to live by our conscience and know what is good and what is right and, and do those things, we would, uh, we would live by that and we would be fine. Yeah, Genesis uh, makes uh, really clear over there in chapter 6 exactly what God thought of all that. He completely wipes out the earth, saves eight souls, it says. Gives us family, gives us government. We still can't handle those things. Gives a law. Gives a little more specific. Gives a few thousand laws. And as Peter said, we can't expect the Gentiles to keep the law because we couldn't even keep the law. The Jews couldn't even keep it. Because as he says, if you have offended at one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. So we begin to see that, that God is showing throughout the dispensations that mankind really has a problem with God. And here we are in the age of grace, if you will refer to it as, a, as Paul refers to it, as the dispensation of grace in Scripture. And, and, and what do you find? Here's, here, here's salvation. It's a free gift. It, you, you don't have to do anything. It's for you. Here you go. Just be obedient. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, with the mouth, uh, uh, confession is made, and the heart believing. I mean, right there in Romans 10, we, 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 we hold fast to those things. But what happens today? People say, no, don't want it. Now think about this, even as we continue on through these ages, and if you will, the seven dispensations that God outlines with the plan of uh, of showing man is without excuse, the seventh dispensation where people are saying, well, if Jesus Christ, if God would just reveal himself and come down and rule and reign, we wouldn't have these problems. Well, how does the millennial reign end? They try to push God off the planet. Again, that does not end well for them. So we see during that period of time, God has some very different expectations of these individuals in that little seven-year period of time as he's working to purge the nation of Israel. He wants them to do something for him, to be working. As we go down into verse 18, he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's a scary verse right there. And we just touched on it briefly last week. That's a scary verse. Jesus Christ didn't die to redeem the devils, but they sure know who he is. They sure know who he is. Go read the encounters that, that, that Jesus Christ had with some of those devils that were possessing individuals. They knew exactly who he was. The human beings around them were, were completely obtuse, but those devils knew. They believe he's God. They believe he's the son of God. They believe he's the savior. But have they received him? Absolutely not. There's the big difference. They're not obedient in faith. And they certainly aren't doing any works to demonstrate it. As you go down here a little bit further, he says, but that will thou, O man, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up, uh, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Now let's take a look at this in just in a minute here. I want us to take a look over at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is why when you, you, you go through your Bible and as you're looking at things, things are going to be compared as you compare Scripture with Scripture. In Romans chapter 5, here, Paul is dealing with specifically Romans. And Romans are Gentiles. They're Italians. So here he is, if you will, over here in Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are justified by our faith. Over here in the book of James, he says, you're not justified by your faith. You're justified by your works. Is that a contradiction? No. 
It's not. Because we have to look at who it is being written to. What the context of the book is about and what God is trying to communicate. Let's take a look at it. Uh, take a look at verse nine. Jump down to verse nine here. He says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Where's the works in here for the justification? It's on the cross. It's in the shed blood. That doesn't sound like anything that James is writing about. Because again, as we look at it, we know that there are, and, and again, it's, it's, it, it, you have to deny scripture in order to say that God is not working differently with individuals throughout, throughout history. When's the last time you offered up a turtle dove? When's the last time you went to the altar? Anybody in here make their wee, uh, wave offering or their heave offering yet? Here we are with some new moons and new Sabbaths and things of that nature. Anybody keep the Feast of the Tabernacles this year? Anybody celebrate, you know, you know, go through Passover? Anybody do any of those things? Why? Well, those are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Jew that is over here that, that James is writing to still has to do some stuff. You can't make James and Paul reconcile without understanding that God does use different things at different periods of time, but still uses the core elements of grace, mercy, faith to do those things. Justification is still part of this. Sanctification, still part of it. Now we, being in this age, we have adoption. It's all those T-I-O-N words that a lot of people don't really understand what they mean. And to stand justified means to stand innocent, free from charge, Somebody's justified in court, then that means that they, they're free to go. The verdict has come in. Not guilty. Now everybody here knows we're guilty. We're guilty of sin, aren't we? Well, then how does that take place? Well, Jesus Christ came and he was the mediator and he says, I will take that punishment. And we just received that gift. And praise God, we are now justified in his sight, as he says, justified through his blood. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to do that. However, here, this Jew has something a little bit different. Because he he, he flat out says, right there, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Abraham wasn't believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that run around and say, well, Abraham was looking forward to the cross. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. 
You go over there to, 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 to the, the gospels, and even in the first part of Acts, they still were kind of having a hard time with that. They weren't looking forward to it. Peter wasn't looking forward to the cross. As a matter of fact, he rebuked Jesus Christ because he mentioned it. And when it came, <laughs> excuse me, when it came time to, to stand for Christ and to stand with him, they all fled. They all took off. Why? Because they were afraid. And they're all huddled around, scared out of their minds, while Jesus Christ resurrects. Interestingly enough, the only people that had enough fortitude to show up were the women. Where were the apostles? Why weren't they standing there by that grave site, uh, that, that, that tomb, waiting for his resurrection? Because they were scared. The women weren't scared. Should tell you something. <laughs> but I, I mean, you, you go through and you look at scripture and, and you see there's some differences. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Go over to the book of uh, Matthew. We, we broached this subject a little bit last week, and, and again, I, I, I kind of want to delay the foundation again to make sure that we understand what's going on here. <clears throat> and, and in this, in this uh, portion of scripture, um, the, the, there is a, a question that is brought up in, in verse three, in Matthew chapter 24. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us what or when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now the disciples knew that the end was coming. The disciples knew that the end was coming. Now, now, now here's the interesting thing. As you look at the period of time with specifically the tribulation period <coughs> and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, one thing you find is you find that's the end. It's the end of the book. In the book of Revelation, that's all it contains. The tribulation period and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And then what? The end. It's the end of this world. It's the end of the devil. It's the end of sin. It's the end of death. But it is the beginning of life, if you will, for those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because why? You're in there for eternity. And as he says over there uh, to the Thessalonians, we shall forever be with the Lord, paraphrasing. Comfort one another with these words. That's an amazing thing to think about. We are going to be forever with the Lord. If you're trusting Christ as your Savior, nothing is going to separate you from that. However, during the tribulation period, there are some expectations. And people that don't follow it are going to see some very serious consequences. Do you ever notice how some of these parables end in rather, uh, if you will, a violent end for that person? These servants, some of them are, you know, turned over to the tormentors. 
Some of them are cast into the fire. God has some specific things that he wants people to do. You jump down here to verse, uh, jump down here to verse, um, 13. And after he, he begins to, to talk them through about what's going to happen. And we're going to skip that for sake of time. In verse 13, he says, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And as he says there, oh, sorry, that's verse 15. Uh, back up to verse 13. That's the one I was, was going to like. That's not right. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. The same shall be saved. And as he says, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. So again, he's going through all of this to, to, to clearly point out that there is an expectation that if somebody is seeking something, seeking to be saved, there's an endurance that is required. Now we endure stuff in this life. We endure tribulation. We endure temptation, things of that nature. Aren't you glad that if you don't, you know, that, that, that if you don't endure right now and you succumb to temptation, there is a great forgiveness of God and he's willing to forgive and, 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 and make, you know, you, you make it right. You do the correction. You're not immediately condemned. Man, I would have been done a long time ago. It would have been a little tiny pile of soot and ashes sitting right here. But when we think about it, this is a very serious thing for these people. As he begins to describe all the stuff that's going on up above. Because in verse 12, what does he say there? Just to kind of get an understanding. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Man, we, we, we love to say that's right here, right now. But God's saying it's going to get worse. I can't even begin to imagine that. I, I mean, think about that. I mean, we, we, we look at it today and go, ew, gross. This is bad. This is horrible. What's going on with this world? Now imagine it just amplified. Because the Holy Spirit is not working in, in, in the way that he has been working through this age. Because he's been keeping some things back. God removes that and says, okay, this is what you guys want. Turns them over to that reprobate mind as he begins talking about in the book of Romans. Because we're no, let's, let's not kid ourselves. We're nowhere near the days of Noah. They're like, well, we're getting close. Yeah, I think we got a long ways to go. The whole world being filled with violence. The thoughts and the imaginations of their heart are evil continually. We want to say that's the case, but it's not the case. Why? Because we still got believers around. Because there's still people out there talking about Jesus Christ and telling people about the need for a Savior. What happens when those people disappear? That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 13. Just to show you that this is not just a a, 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 a a random verse pulled out of context, but there is a principle behind it. Matthew chapter 13, or Mark chapter 13. 
Mark 13, 13. And again, as they, they, they ask the questions about what's going to happen, he goes through and he talks about a lot of these things. Um, and he says in verse 12, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And people want to say, that's happening today. And to be quite honest with you, it is. But not to the degree that it's happening now. we got children hating their parents left and right. we got people, you know, children arguing with all of that. But you know what? You notice what happens up there a little bit further? The father puts to death the son. That's, that, that, that's a horrible thing to even think about. As a father, that's the day and age, by the way, that they're going to be living in. And look at what he says in verse 13. And you should be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now, we, we, we claim that and we say, hey, we, that, that's us right now. We're not hated by all men yet. We're not hated by all men yet. For some reason, there are a few Jews that still like us. <laughs> a few. But I will tell you this, there, there are some individuals out there that, yeah, they're filled with hatred and they want to see, uh, they want to see us gone. That's why I don't think the rapture is going to be some big conspiracy theory. This is just my opinion, by the way. Just my opinion. I can change my opinion as much as I change my clothes, okay? But my opinion is currently at this point in time, I don't think there's going to be a big conspiracy theory about trying to get, you know, I think the world already knows about it. They've made movies about it, mocking it. I'm not talking about like left behind or anything like that. I'm talking about where they're mocking it. And you know what happens? They know that we're going to be out of here, and they're waiting for that day. And when that happens, I think they're going to be really excited. Why? Because then they don't have to worry about us trying to stop them. They can make laws, and they can do whatever they want to do. But here he says, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Here it is repeated again. Go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Let's start there. And again, I just want to show you that, that this isn't just some weird theory or anything of that nature. But Revelation chapter 19... <clears throat> In verse 20, now, during the tribulation period, we understand that there is the Antichrist, who's also referred to as the beast. And there's something that is referred to, as people call it, the mark of the beast. Look, if somebody gets gets the tattoo of 666 right across their forehead right now, that does not mean that they are forever condemned. It just means that they're lacking some, (laughs) they're lacking some knowledge. Let's just put it that way. But if that, if that person sits down and trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're saved. 
I don't care what's on their body. And if we as believers are doing our job as evangelists, telling people about Jesus Christ, those are the type of people that are going to be in church. And we all get excited when that's there. But you take the mark of the beast during the tribulation, you're done. You're done. There's no going back. Because look at what he says in verse 20. It says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. These individuals have taken a mark that marks them as rejecting Christ. There's two marks, if you will, in the book of Revelation. God marks his people, and the devil marks his. And one is for God, and the other one is not. And we find here that these people and these individuals, they take this mark, they're in big trouble. Take a look at verse uh, verse 4 of the next verse, uh, next chapter, chapter 20. and it says and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ and uh, for the word of God and uh, and which that were beheaded uh, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So I want us to understand something. Those individuals that receive that mark, they don't get to participate in the next kingdom. They're outside it. These are the ones that have formed and come together and have very clearly said that we won't do this, or uh, that we won't accept Christ. These are the ones that are, if you will, at Armageddon, that are trying to repel Christ from coming here to this earth. Those are the armies of the beast. These individuals that we see here, very clearly, they take the mark. There's a problem. There's a problem. And one of the things that we see throughout Scripture is we see that God says he's going to protect and help his people. But there's an expectation that they do that which is right. Take a look at the beginning part of Revelation. Let's go to the very first chapters of Revelation. And I want you to see this. These churches that we find here are, if you will, Jewish in nature. They are very much uh, focused on doing things in, if you will, in a very Jewish way because we find very much a lot of Jewish symbolism with them. 
And furthermore, we find that there's something that is given to them or something, some, uh, if you will, a commission, a, a commandment that is given to them that is not like a commandment that we receive today as the church, the body of Christ. Because <clears throat> keep in mind, there are different churches. As a matter of fact, God called the entire nation of Israel a church. So keep that in mind. And as you go through all of this, uh, and uh, I want to see here, um, let me get to, to where it is in, in this, in chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verse verse 1, it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Okay? And he begins to say, these are the things that, that you need to do. These are all the things that need to happen. In verse 7, I want you to see this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the, guard, uh, the paradise uh, uh, of God. The tree of life shows up at the end of all of this. It was there at the beginning. It shows up at the end. Very interesting. That tree was transplanted. That tree isn't here on earth anymore. That tree shows up, as it says, is in the midst of the paradise of God. His presence, and we find it over there in the end of the book of Revelation. But I want you to see, to him that overcometh. What do you have to overcome for your salvation right now? Not a thing. Why? Jesus Christ won that victory on the cross. He spoiled principalities and powers. This is just jump down here a little bit further. Verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right, pump the brakes on that one just for a minute. He's talking to a very specific group of people that are going to be going through the tribulation period. And are, 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 are required to do some things. They have to overcome that period of time. They've got to overcome all the stuff that's going on. This is why James fits this or that specific time period. You go through and he says this to all seven of the churches. Overcome, 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 overcome. He starts talking about giving them a stone with a new name on it. He's talking about manna. He's talking about all these things that relate to the nation of Israel. So that they have entrance into that kingdom to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, as we just read about over there in chapter 19. So these are all things and principles that God is showing us very clearly that he wants us to understand. Now, as we go down here a little bit further, and let's go back to the book of James, there are some practical things that we can walk away with, with this. Because as we continue on down here where we were talking about in James chapter 2 and verse 23, and it says the scripture was filled, uh, uh, excuse me, um, the scripture was uh, fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7 reemphasizes this and emphasizes that he was the friend of God because of the faith. 
But now, now when you go over to the book of Hebrews, it talks about Abraham's faith in that he left where he was and went where God told him to. And does not make mention in that passage, in the first part, of him sacrificing Isaac, his son. Here it does, because that faith was now being justified by works. That's, that, that, that is a significant time frame from when he first believed and he went to when Isaac was born and was offered. Because Isaac was a lot older. Now, when we trust Christ as our Savior right now, we are immediately justified in the eyes of God because of that shed blood of Christ. What God is asking these individuals to do is he's saying, I want you to show that you believe. When, 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 when everything is in the worst possible way, I want you to show that you believe. The verse that we often talk about when it comes to church, we talk about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Where is that found? It's found to the book of or in the book of Hebrews, which is written to Hebrews. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. There's an expectation you don't skip church during that period of time. Now, we take that verse and we apply it today. But that's very serious for those individuals during that period of time that they not forsake that. God has some very specific things that he wants the nation of Israel to do during that time while he's purging them. Why? Because he wants those that truly love him to be in that kingdom. And you take all of the individuals that are Jews today and it will get whittled down to a very small remnant. Because there are a lot of Jews that do not believe and still won't believe. But there is a small remnant that will. And they will follow these things. And they will enter into his joy and his rest. They'll enter into that kingdom. And this is, James, this is why there's such a fervor here. Because James knows there isn't going to be that many. Because Jesus told them there's only going to be a remnant. As we go down here a little bit further, we see that as he uh, continues on with this, it says um, uh, in verse 24, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And again, you can't make that work with Romans chapter 5 that we just read. Unless he's talking to a specific group of people at a specific time to do something very specific for him. And trust me, there are a lot of things in scripture that aren't meant for you. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, there's some people that have actually taken that as life verses. <clears throat> and, you know, they, 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 but I, I will tell you this, that wasn't given to you, was it? That's not a commandment for you. Who was that given to? 
Adam and Noah. Adam and Noah. Two individuals. There's other things that, 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 that he tells people to do. They're very specific. Putting out the fleece. Who is that written to? Gideon? When's the last time you put a fleece out? We don't. That's not given to us. I know there are people out there that say, oh, we should put a fleece out. No, you're not a Jew. You don't seek after a sign. You seek after wisdom. And if you're a Gentile today, you know what you seek after? You're seeking after the wisdom. This book. I don't need a sign in the sky from God to tell me what to do. I don't need a talking donkey. I don't need any of those things. Why? Because God has preserved it right here in his book for us. And we as believers, when we say we believe it, we have to take a look at the entirety of God's word. God's word is a supernatural book that transcends all time. From the very beginning of creation to the very end of it, and even into eternity, we find that God's word transcends all of that. And I will tell you, today, there are people that that have issues with that. They think this is an old book. They think this is an ancient book. As in, it's not really applicable to us today. Oh no, it's very applicable to us today. Well, it doesn't tell me what car I need to buy. Well, actually it does. It'll walk you through making the right wise financial decisions. It will walk you through, you know, being good steward of what God gives us. It'll walk you through those those processes, and when you use those patterns, you'll find that God does work with that. What God has given to us today is one of the most disregarded things, if you will, in a lot of the church today, and that is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. People try to malign it. People try to say it's filled with errors. People try to say, uh, well, that's not really what it means. People will try to say all sorts of stuff. Why? To do away with this and to come up with their own ideas. As an example, there are, there are heresies that are running around today that say, in the end, Everyone is going to be saved. God is going to, he's, he's going to say, oh, no, 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 no. I really didn't mean to send you guys all to hell. That's not what I was talking about. I meant to save you all. You all have forgiveness now. And you too, Lucifer, you get to come along too. That's not what it says in Scripture. Because if that mindset was allowed... Do you think people would live for Jesus Christ at all? Do you think believers would actually uh, uh, do anything for the Lord, knowing that they could get off scot-free? 
No. No. Now, the mercy and the grace of God is amazing, and he will save any soul that comes to him. Regardless of what they've done. And praise God for that. Because he can reach to the lowest hell and grab a hold of a sinner and save them. And I'm talking like hell on earth type thing. Okay? Once you're in hell, you're not getting out. The book of Luke makes that clear. And and, and, it, and, it, and it's a really dark, lonely place. People aren't, you know, people say, well, I'm going to go to hell with the rest of my friends and we're just going to have a party. No, you're not. You're going to be too busy screaming your face off. Living with the idea that you rejected Jesus Christ when you had an opportunity to receive him. That alone would be enough torment. But God makes it clear here that, that there is something that he's working with with the nation of Israel. He says in verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab a harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Not when she hung the, 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 the thread out, but when she believed what they were because why? She feared the God of the Hebrews. She knew who he was by what she had heard, and she wanted no part of this. That's why she hid them. She believed, but she demonstrated something. And this is what God's getting at, because here he is talking about this passage, and he wants these Jews during this period of time to show it, to demonstrate it. To really do something like that. Now, our application that we get from this is, is very similar. God wants us to make sure that we're demonstrating that we believe him. The application is very clear. If I say that I have faith in Jesus Christ and I'm a saved, born-again child of God... My life should exemplify and be congruent and match what I am saying. If I say I am a Christian and I go out and rob the banks, that's not very Christian. If I say I'm a Christian and I show no mercy and no compassion and I just generally show that I hate individuals and human beings altogether, that doesn't match Christianity. Why? Because God had compassion on people. Romans 5, 8. Well, we were just over there in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans 5, 8 is one of the, the most astounding verses in all of Scripture. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Keeping that in mind, when you go over there to where Peter writes down 
God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And John writing, for God so loved the world, we see that very clearly God is demonstrating something. His love and his care for his creation. He wants people to trust Christ as their Savior. But in order to enter into that love, they have to receive him. And we as believers, when we entered into that love by trusting Christ as our Savior, in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says we're ordained unto good works. It's not the works that save us. He makes that clear in verse 9. But he has required of us that we do something. So what do we take from this passage specifically here? While there is a specific doctrinal component that is for individuals that are after us, we can walk away with it and say, well, if God's asking them to go to, to, to demonstrate faith and to make sure that we're continuing in mercy and with the compassion and that we're, we're not, uh, you know, being biased in our judgments and all of these things that he points out in this passage, while people are going through the worst persecution known to mankind, here we are living in the lap of luxury in the United States of America where we get a paper cut and we're suffering for Jesus. We can't demonstrate it? God wants us to do that. Because all of this, you know what it requires? Setting yourself aside. If there's one central component that I see throughout this book is James is really getting to the heart of the issue. And we are the problem. It's our mouth that's the problem. It's what our heart wants is the problem. It's what we're lusting after that's the problem. That's the issue. And look, those people going through it are going to go through the same same stuff. They're going to go through the same stuff. They're going to struggle. They're going to want. To, they're going to want something. They're they're going to sit there and think, "Oh, I got, I've got to have this." All of these things. I, I, and God makes it pretty clear. There's some temporal stuff. This world is temporal. Because as he goes through in chapter 5, he goes right after those that are rich. And let's not kid ourselves with what we think about when we think about rich. If you live in the United States of America and you're here right now, you're rich. You're like, well, I might be close to the poverty line. Yeah, okay, well, our poverty line is nothing compared to some other countries. And it would behoove everybody to have that experience of what a uh, if you will, what a third world country operates like. They don't operate like the first world countries or even second world countries. Third world countries where you're eating out of garbage cans. Things of that nature. But as he goes through these people and he's talking about it, he's talking about those individuals that have got, you know, if you will, the wrong priorities. 
It's more about themselves than anything. And what God wants to do is he wants to make sure that we as believers, because we're allowed to read this right now, that we understand that principle. God wants to see us do something. In my other Bible, I have a quote from Spurgeon in the front of it. And I read it frequently. I read it to refresh my mind. It's a great, it's a, it's a great quote. Now I'm going to paraphrase it. Spurgeon was saying that he does not believe that there is a person or an individual that is saved by God that was created to do nothing. That we all have a purpose. He said, even the weed in the parking lot has a purpose. And I'm like, praise God, we got a lot of weeds. <laughs> There's a lot of purpose out there in that parking lot. But what we believe is as Christians, we've got purpose. God is asking us to do something. God is asking us to live for him, not live for ourselves. And that is going to be a very important principle during this period of time. But for us right now, we take a look at that and in verse 26, he says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without, uh, so faith without works is dead also. We can take that, we can kind of apply that right now and saying, look, the world's going to view that and they're going to say, okay, you got faith. They don't understand what faith is. They think faith is fairy dust. Show them what it really means to be a Christian. Show them compassion. Show them you care. And no, it's not just about the physical things and providing physical needs as in some sort of social gospel, but show them that you care because you're concerned about their soul, where it's going to go in the end. Because you can feed them all day long here on earth, but if you never tell them about Jesus Christ as their Savior... We're not being faithful servants with what we've been given. Now, next week, we'll get into the tongue. So as he begins to go through this and say, hey, you need to make sure you demonstrate, I'm going to show you how to demonstrate this. The first thing we're going to work on is our biggest problem, that hole in our face. (laughs) And let's be honest, it's the hole in our face that gets us into a whole lot of trouble. And we've got to learn to control that. Because one of the verses here that is probably one of the most impactful verses of all of Scripture is verse 2 of chapter 3. This is, for in many things we offend all. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. You want to be perfect? Control this. Because in order to control this, you've got to control what's going on in your heart. In order to control what comes out our mouth, we've got to control what is put into our heart, what affects our heart, and what comes out of our heart. Very, very important principle. Well, let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for, Lord, what you've given to us, and, Lord, the the lessons that we can learn from it. 
And Lord, I'm just so thankful that you uh, died upon that cross to save us. And Lord, that you made that salvation free for us. And Lord, I just pray that we would take not take that for granted, but Lord, we would be very cognizant of what a great gift we have been given. And that Lord, we need to make sure that that gift is spread to other people. That not only do we just talk about you, but we live through you and live by you. And what we do demonstrates your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness to the lives of those that desperately need salvation. Pray, Lord, you just take us home safely tonight. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.